Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Nick Hare and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights, and this week we're discussing how to talk to dogs in other languages. Chris, um, I'm not quite sure, sure why we're talking about this. I think we've got a lot of interesting things to say, but um, lead us in. Go for it. Yeah, well, um, basically, uh, this this comes from my observation in, in some of my sort of um, children's uh, books. We have um, uh, English uh, picture books and American picture books. And uh, in the English picture books, um, dogs make the noise woof woof. Uh, that's that's how a dog noise is is written. Yeah, that's what dogs uh, do, right? That's yeah. what dogs do exactly. But in American uh, books and cartoons and comic books and so on, uh, they make they they say arf arf. Mm. Uh, so I was I was sort of starting to wonder. Well, why? Hang on a minute. You know, so we've got the same. We have the same language, and we're talking about the same animal. Why is it their sound representations are captured captured differently? So I started I started looking into it. It, t- it turns out uh, there are you know all all languages have different um, uh, kind of um, versions of what of what noises dogs dogs make. Uh, it's uh, it's blaf in Dutch. It's uh, wa in French. Okay, uh, as far as I can pronounce. May we? Uh, um, and you know, but that's obviously me trying to pronounce those those languages depictions of those 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 words. Uh, Gav in Russian and and Wan in Japanese, but then there's transliteration in there as well. So uh, anyway, I just started. Can I looking just interject at- and say in Russian, yes, Gav Gav is for big dogs, but small dogs say tiaf tiaf. Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah. Do you know what they say in, in in Brazil? They say ow 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 ow. Little ones or big ones? All of them, I believe. Right. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, I was just kind of thinking about why, when this is supposedly onomatopoeic, we actually capture it in, in different ways and what's going on there. Okay. Uh, just before we go on, I remember this coming up a lot when I was an English teacher. It was always quite a fun lesson, actually, talking about this. And I don't remember other countries, but I remember in Brazil, which I've just talked about, but um, uh, little birds in Brazil go pew pew. That's how they go. Um, and uh, what are the other ones? Yeah. Cockadoodle do? No. Cocorico, corico. Yeah. Well, okay. I've I've looked at a lot of different examples. So let's here. hear. I guess let's hear lots of examples. I think that's quite fun. And then we yeah, can sort I think of dive and I in. think oh, Chris might be over, slightly overegging how different the animals are because it does vary by animal actually. Yeah. What variation there are. Chickens. Yeah. You. I've also I've picked out the ones I think are particularly good. Mm. Chickens generally say something like coco. Okay. Wherever you are. Yeah. The Turkish chickens uh, are great. They go. Get get dark, which I think is really good. Uh, roosters, on the other hand, you're absolutely right. They say they more or less say kikariki wherever you are. Uh, in, the English is particularly bad. Cock a doodle do. It's it just not really there, like is that. it? You know, yeah. um, ducks go more or less go either quack quack or quack quack yeah. everywhere you look. Um, cats, cats are very, uh, similar. Apparently, always meow. All, all, yeah. always meow. Yeah. So I mean, I think the the um, in the only the only in Ukraine Ukrainian they say niav. Really, but I guess if you're saying it, I don't know. You can make that sound a bit like meow. Yeah, meow. if it's like a uh, yeah, if it's yeah. a sort of. And that's the thing. We're obviously interpreting these. Like, like I say, you know, when you transliterate something from Japanese mm. into into our alphabet, yeah. even you're, you're then in, you're making our interpretation. Yeah, in Batak, well. in Batak, they go neong. 
What the hell is Batak? I don't know. Okay. Um, <laughs> apologies to any Batak speaking Batakians. listeners out there. Oh, yeah, well. Uh, birds, as you said, they do actually all sort of go pip pip or choo choo, more or less. Yeah. yeah, yeah what yeah. did you say they said in Brazil? Pew, pew. Yeah, they they all say something like that. Which also means something Bengal, a bit rude though, as well. They say hey. kichir michir. In where, sorry? Bengal, they say kichir michir. Really? Which is sort of capturing yeah. a bit more of the twitteriness. I kind of yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we've done dogs. Horses trotting. How would you do a horse trotting? Clip clop. Yeah, or clippity clop. If yeah. you wanted to make it sound like it was going faster. The two I really like are in Danish, they have gadagum gadagum, and in, in French, they go dugadum dugadum, okay. which is a bit more like a horse yeah, riding like over a, a, earth yeah. rather than on yeah, pavements. Yeah, along a sort of a, a bucolic uh, Cows go moo everywhere. Okay. Full on moo. Sheep either say be or bar, except in Indonesia where they say mbek. Wow. Um, pigs are all over the place. In, in Basque, they say kurin kurin. In Czech, they say kvik kvik. Ger- German, where we must get the word grunt from, yeah. they say grunts grunts, apparently. And I didn't, I had never thought of grunt as being really imitative of what a pig says, but it's not bad. Mm. Um, elephants, again, nobody really knows what they say. In Arabic, they say nahim. Italians, get this, in Italian, elephants say bar, <laughs> like sheep. And in Tagalog, it's Awoo, which is my favourite one. Um, lions in, generally do In Tagalog, did you say? Tagalog, which I think is the Philippines. Will they speak in Philippines? Well, Not okay. sure. Lions all say either raw or grr, mm. some variation of that. Mm. And bees all have z, m or n in them, which is quite good. So anyway, there you go. Quick roundup of the world of animal noises uh, as depicted in different languages. Okay. So I guess I, I gotta, we've, got to, we've got to define what our question is here. And... Um, yeah, is this linguistics? Is this environment? You know, this well, is. Well, I, I, I think the the sort of way I've been thinking about this is the way we, um, the way we depict sounds to sort of capture information, and uh, the way we try and um, capture sort of acoustically ambiguous things mm. into a single into a single world. It's not dissimilar to the way you might describe you know a, a color with a word uh, or some you know some sort of visual uh, visual reference and and i think you know one of the reasons why some animals all make similar noises in different languages and some are much more diverse is i suspect because if you if you think about dogs uh you know as you said there are big you know a great dane versus a chihuahua that that range of noise is is quite diverse so there's much more uh, much more open to interpretation um whereas a cat probably does make a similar sound where whatever size and yeah yeah and I, in fact that's that's sort of born born out so there's there's actually um the uh, there was actually a study by um academics in in cambridge the the catchly entitled uh, disentangling canid howls across multiple species and subspecies structure in a complex communication channel um uh, but they actually looked at the range of noises made across different species of uh well dogs coyotes and different species of wolves and they clustered um you know multi-dimensional clustering they they identified 21 different types of how like long range communication within within canids um so that suggests that there is quite a lot of diversity in there whereas i suspect if they'd done a similar study in in cats 
they wouldn't have found quite so much time. Yeah, and I think uh, born out. I don't know how true this is, but frogs have very distinct uh, geographic variation in how they talk, which is why in America, apparently, no ribbit. frog anywhere ever said ribbit. Well, I, I think they're uh, a particular species of frog yeah. in in somewhere in the US, which yeah. says, I think it's an. I think it's the one um, near Hollywood, which is why mm. the f- frogs in films say ribbit. Yeah. Um, but croak is much closer to what uh, frogs sound like in um, uh, in the UK. And um, I remember when I was in France hearing these strange beeping noises. Turned out to be frogs as well. Mm-hmm. You can't... Frogs all over the place. They're totally, totally different. So that's bound to be one of them. Mm. Um, then there's, I mean... There's see that uh, partly okay. I mean, we're talking about things that are imitative here, but there's also the question of like idiophones, so things that are um, words that kind of work for uh, particular concepts which aren't imitative. So things like zigzag, which works very well for the idea of a zigzag, it feels quite a pointy sort of word for a pointy shape. Uh, Bling for shiny things kind of works. They don't mm. make a noise, but they sound like they look like they ought to. Mm. Um, and then you have things like uh, where, you know, there's a sort of imitative component to the way that we say things. So, for example, the sounds for big things are produced uh, with your t- the tongue at the back of your mouth, like huge and gigantic, mm. whereas the words for small things like teeny and tiny and diddy are all pronounced with the tongue at the front of your mouth, mm. for example. Um, and there's words like soft, which feels soft compared to hard, and words like fluffy, which really sound very fluffy to me. So, uh, yeah. so, and then there's, I mean, I don't know, getting even more abstract, there are words that, to me, really sound exactly like what they mean without really being in any way onomatopoeic, like bombastic and robust and delicacy, which, to me, are like examples of words which feel exactly right. You know, someone who's bombastic, you think, yeah, that word really... I get what you're saying. It. It's more than just onomatopoeia, right? It's, yeah. yeah, it's not just imitation. There's there's obviously something to do with the way that we represent concepts with language yeah. that at some level is mapping onto the sounds themselves, or at least, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think, um, you know, there's, there's, there's also at, at play uh, regional and cultural um differences so you know in in some languages they're obvious so if you think about the um uh, the 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 th sound the um the voiced dental fricative uh that that we have in english but isn't present in most yeah. uh in in most european and asian languages well you're not going to be able to, and in fact it's not only that um they don't use it and Fight, have great difficulty in sounding it themselves it's that they don't really discern it either they can't tell the difference between different kinds of th noises that we that we can uh and there's there's also there's also something at play about um language and cultural differences in in the use of different languages and what you can hear and discern and what you can represent um that i think is is quite uh it's quite kind of um, interesting and and determines how we uh, how we think about um, sounds. If you if you take um, so the, the the bird that is named after its the the noise it makes in the mm. UK mm. the cuckoo mm. right what noise well obviously we think it makes a cuckoo mm. okay and when I so I listened to the the sound of a cuckoo because in German uh, it is cuckook 
that's the that's the noise that they um, mm-hmm. or that's the name they give the bird. And so when I was listening to a cuckoo, I could not hear the the cut the at the end cut. of it. And I tried and I tried and and eventually I could start, kind of think, oh yeah, okay, actually. Maybe the, I can see how you could represent that. But there's something very suggestive about language, which is a little bit to do with what Nick was saying about what do we what do we think it should sound like, and a little bit uh, to do with once we start using a word for a sound, it then starts sounding to us like that noise. So Yeah, So the, and I think this has been widely observed in things like, I mean, I, I couldn't find if this effect has a name, but the, the TikTok effect, where clocks don't go TikTok, right? <clears throat> everyone thinks they do and the tick and the tock sound very distinct when you're listening to it and you're thinking tick tock uh but if you listen to the same clock and you decide it's going to start playing a waltz and you start listening to it going tick tock tock tick tock tock you'll hear that instead so i think this what that highlights is the fact that you know our experience of the world is a combination of um of a sort of top-down um prior beliefs element you know taking a kind of bayesian framework for, for how, how we how we experience things there's a kind of top-down prior belief about what we should be experiencing and then of course we have the sensory information which is probably just too rich uh, for us to be able to synthesize entirely and and the experience we actually have is going to be some combination of the two so yeah no doubt that what you've been told uh, an animal sounds like is going to influence the way that you hear its um sound but of course you know within limits uh and yeah, yeah. i mean just sort of backing that backing that up there are a couple of uh couple of studies where they've used ambiguous sounds um so uh there's one where which can be interpreted as uh pale um bill or uh mayo so it's got three you know different sounds that people can typically hear and if you're shown a picture at the point at which you are hearing the sound you will hear the one which is associated with the with the picture and obviously every well a lot of people will be familiar with the the yanny and laurel sound uh um, that was great yeah Yeah. which was Mm. similar to the white and gold blue and uh purple dress or or, or blue and black dress um but for for um audio uh and um you know there's an element one of the reasons they're um suggesting that there is this discrepancy some people hear yanni and some people hear laurel is to do with the poor quality of the sound and that there's more room for the brain to interpret things there was also you know a, a suggestion that if you are younger and hear higher frequency sounds you'll hear yanni if you're older and don't hear those high frequency sounds the the dominance of uh, um uh, laurel will, will come through but um so yeah we we are very uh, you know we are suggestible when it comes to to sounds the brain does a lot of interpretation and fills in a lot of blanks for us um which is why we yeah and it's a, it's a totally different experience yanni and laurel unlike the bloody dress which i've never been able to see as blue and black i have tried everything i've tried every trick on the internet to try and see it as blue and black i cannot yanni and laurel i can switch between quite happily yeah. um and the experience of listening to that sound go yanni is a completely different one. So the experience of hearing it say Laurel, they're, they're just different sounds as far as I'm concerned. And, and, I, and I believe there is this sense that they are different, that they're two things overlaid and uh, they, um, 
kind of uh, you know depending on which one dominates you will hear one or, or the other so yeah that kind of backs that up um, okay look I don't know if this is dragging us in a different direction but something I can't quite recall what you said Chris but there was something that you said that made me think of something which is um, I don't know the effect of language on on how we process information and all it, all it made me think of I mean do you two speak any languages other than, other than English Barely, barely even I speak, speak that, to be German, honest. Yeah. A bit of German. Because I speak Portuguese every day. Because um, my wife is Brazilian, and I speak, and that's what we speak with our kids as well. And actually, something I noticed a long, long, long time ago is I'm a very different person, actually, when I'm speaking Portuguese. Um, it's a kind of a softer language. I'm more romantic. I'm kinder. And, and you know, my voice is a lot softer when I speak Portuguese. Um, so I kind of become a different person almost when, I, when I'm speaking it, with one exception, which is when I'm telling my children off, which is quite common. Um, and if we're out and about, I always do it in Portuguese because I kind of quite like to do it quite privately and have a go at them in private, as it were, and so other people don't understand. Um, yeah, I don't know. Is there anything? It, it was that something you were starting to talk about a little bit, Chris? Well, Any thoughts on that? Am I taking this in an interesting direction or not? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, so I suppose there's um, there's an element of so you know one of one of the things we didn't particularly look at is whether or not uh, there you know the reason why different languages represent different animal noises in different ways is because the animals themselves are. Um, using different languages and i think nick alluded to it a bit there is there is uh evidence in lots of species of dialect uh you know um studies done on sperm whales with caribbean accents and uh you know um uh the 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 um uh, you know birds in america being you know having state by state different different calls even though it's the same species and so on uh now the question is whether that affects you know whether whether sound as opposed to the structure of the language affects behavior or the or the way you transmit um uh information i mean i was i was kind of taken with nick's uh thought about um you know certain certain sounds representing particular types of ideas consistently so small things sounding in one you know one way big things sounding in in another way mm. um and i think that is uh, uh you know that may well be culturally um I independent i mean when when you re when you read a word in english and you don't know what it is part of the part of the lexical inference you're doing is about the context of the word but part of it is what does that word sound like you know it it, it sounds a bit like it should be a, a word for somebody annoying or something and and you, you know you infer a lot by the the sounds of words so um so yeah but is that you know is a word that sounds big in in English, even if it were a nonsense word, does that sound small in Portuguese? I think for I think they I think they've shown that it, it those sorts of things are universal. I think they yeah. they did this thing where they'd shown people different shapes. You know, one is a sort of spiky shape, and one is a one is a sort of blobby shape. And they say which one is a is a is a bloog, and which one is a cacalac. You know, mm. and they'll they'll uh, they'll and it's fairly universal. Always, yeah, um, I think the 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 thing about um, you know, languages is is obviously languages really compress the range of sounds uh, available. 
you know, mm. we, we, there are lots and lots of different sounds sure, that you can make. Yeah. And we, but we, we've compressed them into just these little chunks, you know, phonemes, uh, which are sort of ranges of sound within which, you know, you, you can vary and still be saying the same thing. So, which is why you can have a conversation with, if someone says, you know, so brass as opposed to brass or, um, you know, the, the, um, uh, Cockney saying butter instead of butter, mm. and we we're going to hear it as the same thing. You're allowed to. That's a that's a way of the you know within that phoneme. You're allowed to vary that sound, mm. but that that of course means it's hard to represent within that system. Really precise, uh, you know, imitations of of real sounds because they're they're we yeah. they will end up falling into a bucket, and that bucket is sort of a, a phoneme which g- g- encompasses quite a lot of sounds and. And I, and I think there's, you know, languages, but I mean, languages vary very widely in terms of the number of phonemes they have <clears throat> in general, because all languages have the same kind of information content. The fewer phonemes you have, the longer your words are. Um, so, you you know, you have, um, you, I think there's there's variation. Uh, I think there's like 11 phonemes in a language called Rotocas um, and about 141 phonemes in a language called Xoo. I don't even know how to say that. I suspect it involves being a Xoo speaker before you can even pronounce the name of the language. Um, so you would expect Xoo speakers to be better at imitating animals. Mm. Um, than, yeah, they've got more yeah. tools to use. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's yeah. a really there's a really interesting study um, done by um, academics at Wisconsin University where they looked at how um, onomatopoeic words form, and the, the the sort of structure of the study was basically they asked people to um, imitate noises not to create words for but imitate the the noises of things like sloshing water or whatever it might be and then they kind of um socialized their imitations to the next group and then the next group had to um kind of propagate that to another you know so there were several layers of of chinese whispers kind of like chinese whispers exactly and eventually uh they found that they settled it went from being more sound like to being more word like you know so that i think you know um the slosh of water became something like chong chong or so i I forget exactly what it was but but the effectively you know they created their own onomatopoeic words Mm -hmm. um but it was sort of trying to accelerate the process that that would have happened by naturally in in a language and and it kind of backs up you know nick's idea that um you're trying to encapsulate something quite abstract and not language-like into something that you can nail as a concept that everybody gets. Yeah, which is why we have to come up with new... We've got to, And the demand for onomatopoeia is going to be driven by new technology as well. So you have, you know, guns. What do they say? What do you think a gun says? Bang. Piao. Piao, yeah. Guns say piao, piao. Do they? Yeah, what are you talking about, Fraser? Well, and um, and laser guns go zap, don't they? We all know yeah, they yeah. go zap. Uh, new, yeah. New, new words required. Yeah, go on. What? So, well, I'm close to uh, wanting to wrap up. There's something I want to move on to. A final question, but before I do, I'd like to sort of, you know, if there's anything you want to add, um, you know, have well, we, uh, just coming back off. to your to your um, your point about sort of, you know, differences between languages and whether some languages are more onomatopoeic than others. I I don't know whether that's the case, but um, I, I think the the it, within the um, Quranic Arabic, for example, mm. within the Quran there are something like nineteen thousand words, mm. and it has been noted how there are only nine onomatopoeic words in in the Quran, uh, which is 
proportionately supposed to be very very small and there have been you know a few studies trying to work out why that might have been culturally and so on um so so yeah i think there you know it it is perhaps the case that some languages are better at doing onomatopoeia than well uh, okay. i and one th- one of the things you will note is how spectacularly bad english is actually at doing at least written english the conventions for how you write animal noises we mentioned cockadoodle do earlier but also things like neigh for what a horse says and mm. uh, uh you know woof doesn't sound very much like a dog but one of the reasons for that that i've seen advanced is that english is re- comparatively very old for, as far as written languages are, are concerned so the conventions for how you write english um it's like chris's process that he's talking about of how these words form the words we have for animal noises are <clears throat> a long way divorced from their kind of onomatopoeic orange or origins so i remember you know finding out that the word raven is supposed to be onomatopoeic it's oh, supposed really? to sound like raven or something okay. and uh and the same with uh with hawk and rook and uh lots of other sort of bird names are, are onomatopoeic um like crow crow apparently well, it does it crow as well, it. doesn't it? You yeah. one crows, yeah. so so uh, yeah. Okay, nice. Fraser, what were you gonna? Yeah, I just uh, I just wanted to ask. Um, can you tell me? I don't know if there's something you think about a lot, but I do. Do you have either a lang a favourite language? You don't need to understand it. Either a favourite language or a language uh, that you really dislike. Because I certainly have one that I dislike a lot. Uh-oh. Well, as long as it's not German. You know, I, I quite German, like German. Poor old German is like the heavy metal of languages in that everyone says they don't like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like German, actually. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I'll kick things off. I mean, happy to discuss this? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I, I really do not like um, Spanish, uh, particularly uh, what might be called Castilian Spanish. Um, when I hear Spanish from South America, Central America, fine. Um, but I do not like Spanish from Spain. Um, because the whole th-th-th-th-th thing annoys me a bit. All right. Um, and we all know how that came about. Um, no, it's not true. Is that not true? Yeah. We all know how that didn't come about. Yeah. Um, but I don't like that. And there are just certain ways that, you know, there are certain things. I'm, and of course, I lived in Spain. So, I, you know, over nine months or so, I really did have enough of it. So I don't like Spanish very much. Um, in terms of languages that I do like, well, plenty of them. Um, you know, I think there's lots of really pretty languages. Ethiopian. I once watched a documentary about Ethiopian runners and it was really struck by its delica- delicacy and uh, its musicality. And so, yeah, there we go. Those are my, those are my, mm. those are my votes. Um, apologies to all our Castilian uh, speakers out there. Yeah, I, I've got a particular favourite, actually, which is Dutch, and I don't speak a word of Dutch. Mm. Um, what I like about it is if you hear some Dutch speakers, but they're slightly out of earshot, it sounds just like they're speaking English um, <laughs> because you, you they, they've got a very, very similar kind of phonemic vocabulary, as it were. You know, the, the, the sounds they use are very similar to English and even the words are often very similar. But when you get closer, it's like it's almost like it gives you the closest sensation you can get to what it must be like to hear someone speak English but not be able to speak English yourself, which is quite fun. It's like reading an alphabet you don't understand. If you're falling asleep, you can... You can understand them. I, I had an experience of falling asleep on a on a train uh, with uh, some Dutch people, you know, gabbling away. And, yeah, uh, you understood every word. And, and well, I wouldn't say I understood every word, but but there was something about that that drift between the the waking and the sleeping state yeah. that was more interpretive. And um, yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I felt I, I yeah. So maybe Dutch is like the universal language of our unconscious or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, any least favourites? 
No, I don't, I, it's a bit naff, I think. I think yeah. all languages are fun. I like the fact that they're all... Yeah, True, really except Spanish, same. of course. Um, uh, Chris? <laughs> yeah, I think for me, uh, I, I love um, fictional languages. So I think something like Tolkien's Elvish mm. uh, is... Trem- and he was obviously, you know, he had a, a, a linguistics scholar's Please back, tell us. Background. Please tell us you speak Elvish. I, I'm afraid I don't speak Elvish. Oh, but, but can um, you even say, my name is Chris in... No, no, no yeah, maybe okay. I maybe maybe I should at some yeah. point learn a bit a little bit of Elvish, but uh, just the, the 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 effort that goes into creating a, a fictional language from scratch in in usually in one creative mind's uh, you know effort, um, I th- I think is is um, really really interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, and in that case, in terms of least favorite language, it would probably be uh, Orkish. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I was gonna. My vote perhaps would be uh, yeah, Klingon. You know. Yeah. Um, okay. Right. Um, look, let's wrap up there. Um, thank you very much indeed for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrewer. I've been here with Nick Hare and Chris Rag of Aleph Insights. And until next time, Chris Crush, <laughs> which I believe is Klingon for goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>